0: Hello, beautiful souls. In an effort to relieve some of the stress surrounding the coronavirus pandemic, I have decided to release the Soul Flow audiobook here on this podcast for free. There are 15 chapters in total, 17 if you count the introduction and closing thoughts, and a new chapter will be released daily starting Friday, March 20th, 2020 through Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Please enjoy this free audiobook, and if you'd like to support me and my work, consider leaving a review on Amazon or for this podcast, following me on social media—my Instagram handle is Martin. posting about this book to social media, and sharing this podcast and my other resources, which you can find linked in the show notes, with your friends and family. I am sending love and light to you all during this time. Enjoy the audiobook. Chapter 8. The Guilt Complex. I used to feel guilty for flying first class, which is actually quite comical since I'm writing this current chapter in my first class seat. Tie it back to self-worth, not believing I was good enough, or what have you, but I used to believe that the people who flew first class were wasting money, splurging on something completely unnecessary. Flying from Houston specifically, you can get almost anywhere in three hours or less. I used to think, what's a few short hours of your life sitting in coach? Why not spend that money on something else? That is, until someone very dear to me said something so profound, it nearly knocked me off my feet. What is three hours of your time worth? That question changed everything for me especially after I became a full-time creative entrepreneur. What is my time worth? Lordy, where do I even begin? I have books to write, YouTube videos and podcasts to brainstorm, programs and courses to create, a business to run, deadlines to meet. And yes, those deadlines may be self-imposed, but as an entrepreneur, you absolutely have to hold yourself accountable if you want to be successful. Want to know how much work I get done while I'm sitting in coach? How many words I'm able to write? Maybe 300. And that's on a good day, you know, when no one's sitting in the middle seat. How many words will I write by the end of this two-hour and two-minute first-class flight? I'll let you know by the end of this chapter, but you and I both know it'll be a hell of a lot more than 300 words. We cannot, and should not, place a dollar value on our time. Sadly, it's the one thing we can't get more of. More money? Absolutely. More freedom? Yes, indeed. But more time? Nope. I'm sure you've sensed a pattern throughout this entire book. Worth, worth, worth. Your soul flow is innately tied to your sense of self worth. What it all really comes down to is what you've decided that looks like, it's your priorities your non-negotiables. As an entrepreneur, that looks like flying first class whenever I can, staying at five-star resorts on international and domestic vacations, owning a luxury vehicle, buying organic produce on a weekly basis, and eating at high-end restaurants whenever I get the urge, living in a beautiful home with a naturally lit office surrounded by as many books and plants as I can get my hands on reading as often as my schedule will allow, learning new skills and trying new things, riding my Peloton daily, booking massages twice a month, getting weekly manicures and pedicures, saying no to the things I don't want to do and saying yes to the things I really, really want to do, spending quality time with family and friends as the best possible version of myself, my true self. How can I be the best version of myself if I'm behind on my business or my deadlines? How can I truly be present with my family and friends when all I'm thinking about is the fact that I only wrote 300 words in coach on the way to visit them? The answer is simple. I can't be. What is your time worth? Once you determine what that looks like, you'll be more inclined to make choices that are aligned with that level of worth. It took a long time for me to get over my guilt complex when it came to buying first class tickets. Usually the first question that arises whenever I get off the plane is, how was your flight? To which I smile because I no longer have horror stories. All of my flights are exceptional because I chose for them to be that way. Everything is a choice, our choice, and yet we worry about how those choices will be perceived. Do any of my family members run a creative entrepreneurial business? No. Should I expect them to understand how precious those three hours on that plane are? No. And I don't. There's no room for guilt when your choices are aligned with the best version of yourself, whatever that may look like for you. It goes without saying that guilt is inherently tied to the concept of self-worth, to what you think you deserve. If you're anything like me, I love a good Netflix and chill sesh. Knowing that my couch, oversized pillows, and fuzzy blankets are patiently awaiting my arrival, I'm convinced there's nothing better after finishing up a long day. But that's just the problem. Why does it always have to be after a long day? The guilt complex can manifest in many different forms, but for me, the art of doing nothing makes me feel all sorts of guilty. Unless it comes after a long day. Unless I feel like I deserve it, which isn't often. Earlier in this book, you read all about my overachieving tendencies and where the belief about my worth being tied to achievement stems from. But not once did I mention feeling guilty. I also didn't mention the judgment I used to pass on myself. Speaking from past experience, when you work full-time in a corporate setting, there are expectations from management, from your team, from your subordinates, from your peers. And many of these expectations are passed along from the top down. If the CEO says it's company policy to work from eight o'clock a.m. to five o'clock p.m. with a one-hour lunch break, then that behavior becomes expected of you. If your boss tells you that checking your personal email should be done on your own time, then not checking Gmail during work hours becomes expected of you. If you watch a coworker get scolded for packing up early, even if it's for a good reason, that signals a certain expectation of you. For me, I'd been fortunate enough to have a semi-flexible work schedule. Unfortunately, I'd reported to a manager who'd had a serious complex about how his employees should spend their work hours. Every single minute of every single day had to be dedicated to something work-related. I know what you might be thinking. They're paying you to work there. Of course, you should be doing work-related activities. And you're right, but not to the extent I've experienced. When I worked full-time, mornings were an absolute nightmare. My boss always showed up at an ungodly hour. I'm talking 5 a.m. So by the time I got there around 8 o'clock, he was already well into his workday, meaning that I never felt like I could get ahead. I was always playing catch-up. He frequently had a list miles long for me to attend to, so all of my emails and projects were forced to take a backseat. Working lunches quickly became the new norm. If you've never participated in a working lunch, it basically consists of shoveling food down your throat in a conference room while simultaneously conducting and or participating in a meeting. This may not sound like a big deal, and if it's once or twice a week, it isn't, But when it becomes a daily thing that you are required to participate in, Houston, we have a serious problem. It got to a point where I couldn't, for the life of me, recall what having time alone at the office even felt like. Afternoons were always a toss-up. If my boss was stuck on conference calls, then I could finally get all the work done, my work, that I'd never even had the chance to start on earlier that day. Even so, he'd still pop his head into my office like a woman on The Bachelor. Can I steal you for a second and ask for my opinion on this email, that spreadsheet, this presentation? You get the idea. So why am I sharing this story with you? What does all of this have to do with the guilt complex? Well, when I finally did quit that job to become a full-time creative entrepreneur, not only was my success 100% dependent on me, I also had to redefine what work as a whole would look like. At the time of writing this book, I've been happily self-employed for over a year, and yet my guilt complex still trips me up every now and again, first-class seats and all. Believe me, I've done the mindset work around this. I know where my overachievement stems from, and I also know that it directly ties into my feeling guilty for taking breaks and having rest days. If I'm not achieving then I'm not doing, and if I'm not doing, then I'm just being, and being is lazy, except it's not. Guilt is undeniably linked to fear of judgment and or shame. My entire life, from my childhood all the way through my corporate career, I'd been taught that not doing things was shameful, that people who didn't do things were lazy. Those were the types of people who would never get ahead in life talk about an overachiever's worst nightmare. To combat this, do, do, do. Keep doing more and more and more until you can't possibly fall under the same umbrella as a lazy person. Ah, look, the judgment disorder makes yet another unscheduled appearance. Not surprisingly, my guilt complex hit its peak the entire month after I'd quit my full-time corporate gig. I'd wake up each morning excited to start my day, but there was always an underlying feeling of guilt. A frequent thought that crossed my mind was: "So many people are stuck at work right now in a job they hate, so I need to be doing all the things I used to wish I could do during the workday, like ride at Starbucks, shop at Barnes & Noble at one o'clock in the afternoon, or go for brunch on a random weekday and have a mimosa." It was as if all of a sudden. I felt guilty for all the things I potentially could be missing out on now that I wasn't constrained by a typical 9-to-5 job. For years, all I'd wanted was freedom, but as soon as I got it, I then felt guilty for having it, and guilty if I didn't make the most of it. Friends, there's so much we can feel guilty for. We can feel guilty for forgetting to call our friends back, canceling on brunch at your mother-in-law's, not ticking off all the boxes on your to-do list. Making a mistake or two. Taking time for yourself. And then what do we do? We apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Saying sorry means we feel ashamed, like we did something wrong. But is it wrong that you forgot to call a friend back because you were so engrossed in a creative project that time completely got away from you? Is it wrong that you canceled brunch because you needed a day to recharge in peace and quiet with a good book? Is it wrong that you left half your to-do list undone because you decided to spend quality time playing with your kids in the backyard instead? Guilt will eat you alive if you let it. The next time you choose one thing over another, instead of apologizing and saying, I'm sorry for, I want you to try something else. Instead of I'm sorry for, say thank you for. I'm sorry I'm late turns into thank you for waiting. I'm sorry I made a mistake, turns into thank you for your support and encouragement. I'm sorry I missed brunch, turns into thank you for understanding. It's such a small thing, this choice of words, but it makes all the difference. At least it has for me. While the source of guilt may vary from situation to situation, there is a common denominator, the should factor. And the should factor is directly related to our attachment syndrome, hello again, because when we're attached to a certain outcome, concept, or identity, we're immediately drawn into what should happen or what we should be doing. A hardworking employee should stay past regular work hours to finish a project. A selfless mother should spend more time with her kids versus spending time alone. A good student should turn her homework in on time and get straight A's. A dedicated business owner should scale their business to new heights, even if it means sacrificing their health and a good night's sleep. These labels, and the judgments of these labels, result in should behaviors. You know what you should be doing? Whatever the hell you want, it's your life. Before I quit my full-time job, I made the decision that I wanted to spend more of my time volunteering. After weeks of research and deliberation, I finally settled on an organization, which will remain unnamed, that seemed like a good fit at the time. The initiation process for this organization was quite rigorous. It required more time, effort, and dedication than I care to admit, but I was so excited to volunteer and work with the incredible charities that this particular organization had ties with. In the beginning, things started off great. More than great, really. I was having fun, meeting new people in my community, and truly felt like I was making a difference. But then something entirely unexpected happened guilt. Things shifted, and not in a good way. Requirements became more stringent, the organizational structure changed, and what once felt like volunteering turned into a bureaucratic race for who could peg more hours, more donors, more money. I felt as though I'd been thrust into a political campaign for no one's gain other than the elusive pockets that seemed to sink deeper and deeper. Sign in, sign out, check in, check out. This many hours for this type of volunteering, that many hours for that type of fundraiser. The guilt would pile up with each box I checked, with each timestamp I wrote on those damn clipboards were we volunteering out of the goodness of our hearts or aiming to do good in a way that in fact wasn't good for anybody volunteers were disgruntled those receiving our help weren't grateful and all that seemed to matter was how much money we could raise if i just wanted to give money i would have gladly written a check and been on my merry little way but that's not what i'd signed up for giving my time my precious precious time that's all I'd wanted. How sad it is to develop guilt around giving. That's exactly what happened to me. I knew what I had to do. I quit. I now volunteer on my own time, as an individual, not as part of an organization, and the difference it's made is tenfold. I've been able to get back to the spirit of giving, helping others, being of service, all the things that had gotten so twisted when a volunteer organization tried to become something it never should have wanted to be in the first place. The way in which I gave my time while in that organization was not aligned with me, with who I am as a person. It also wasn't aligned with the person I envisioned myself becoming. So I let it go and I didn't feel an ounce of guilt in doing so. In what areas of your life do you feel a sense of guilt? What should story are you playing every day? Does it feel right? Soul flow dies in the wake of should. Should I do this? Should I do that? The should doesn't matter because it was designed for and by the external. Here's a label, a title, an identity. This is what it looks like and this is what you should do if you want to become that. Some people might think I should have stayed in my corporate job, that I should have stayed in Arizona instead of moving to Texas, that I should have pursued traditional publishing instead of self-publishing, that I should have waited to do this thing or not pursued that thing or blah, 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 that I should do something. And then when I decide not to, I should feel guilty about it. How about no, not now, not today, not ever. I'm done with should. I'm done with guilt. If I had listened to all the shoulds, where would I be now? It certainly wouldn't be here. And here is pretty damn great. P.S. This first class seat really paid off. That's 2,801 words in the bag. Reflection. What should stories do you find yourself falling prey to? In what situations or around what people do you feel like you should act a certain way? What choices have you made in line with should and why did you act on those? Was there a time in your past where you made your own choices and were made to feel ashamed? The next time you feel guilty, take a moment to stop what you're doing or excuse yourself from a situation and pinpoint why you feel that guilt rising. If there's someone in your life who's constantly making you feel this way, it might be time to have a frank conversation with them if it's all in your head, then give yourself permission to not feel guilty. How will you commit to overcoming your guilt complex? Think of some positive affirmations and keep them handy. For example, if you struggle with taking time for yourself, your affirmation could be, I love myself enough to step away and take a break. I deserve to rest.